Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. Because the name of this podcast is Uncommon Sense, Christianity and Politics, I get a lot of people that will comment that Christians should just stay out of politics. <laughs> Many are from unbelievers that want Christians to stay away from policymaking since you know they often hold different political ideologies. But many are also Christians that subscribe to the do evangelism only type of theology. In other words, we should be spending our time getting people saved and that's it. <laughs> if if you've listened to this podcast very long at all, you will probably have heard why I think this is entirely incorrect thinking. And Ralph uh, Drollinger, uh, he uh, is of Capital Ministries. He wrote an article on this is- issue well, almost exactly two years ago, I guess. And, and I wanted to cover it here for you now because it puts together quite a bit of what I have been talking about bits and pieces wise. He says, the fact that believers should affect the world in which they live versus isolate themselves from it is evident from the Sermon on the Mount. Of course, this is from Matthew 5, 13 through 16, where it says, if you are the salt of the earth, but you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's what the scripture says. Now, when Jesus lights a lamp, when he brings an individual to true saving faith in himself, what results is a person who gives light to all who are in the house. It is not difficult to decipher what this passage means. The word house in verse 15 is another way of expressing two previously used words in the passage. This simply means a believer will affect people on the earth, verse verse 13, and people in the world, verse 14. This passage teaches that it is normative for believers to affect the physical earth world or land in the here and now. But notice the progression of the whole chapter. Verses 13 and 16 come after verses 1 through 12. I know, logically, but these these verses 1 through 12, these are commonly known as Jesus' Beatitudes. The Beatitudes teach concise virtues listed in, in the opening portion of his Sermon on the Mount that are emblematic of his mature followers. In other words, character qualities such as gentleness, Matthew 5, 5, Righteousness, uh, Matthew 5, 6 or 10. Mercifulness, uh, verse 7. Purity, verse 8, etc. 
Per the progressive nature of them, one's manifestations of salt and light will be in direct proportion to the degree these previously listed characteristics inhabit the believer. Over the long run, one cannot affect his surroundings in a godly way unless he first possesses godly character. Who one is, the type of person he is, and how, how one affects his world are intrinsically intertwined. First, this means one is Christ-like in culture, agents of a perseverant, uh, per- um, the, the illumination of truth, in other words, to the degree that you are beatitudinal. In other words, one is mature in the Savior, and, and Jesus is not saying here, be salt and light. Rather, he is teaching that to the degree one uh, internally manifests Christ's likeness is to the degree which one will externally affect his world. Or in the case of capital community, its people and its laws and the economic well-being of the nation and that type of thing. William Wilberforce changed the slavery laws of England because of the fact that he was beatitudinal, Christ-like to a high degree over many years in office. So why is this important? Well, beatitudinal character is always connected to Christ-like maturity. And secondly, notice in the in the beginning of verse 16, let your light shine before men in such a way, the, the, the phrase in which a way means in this way, or thus, and the verb shine, which is lampo, is an imperative, meaning God is commanding you. In other words, our light must shine in this way. And what way is that? That others see your godly character and your resulting cultural preservation and illumination. What follows is that others glorify your Father who is in heaven. Following this biblical sequencing, you become a powerful witness in a fallen world through your cultural participation, not absent from it. Personal spiritual um, maturation will be indicated by one's cultural participation, which then testifies of God in an on-looking world. This progression reveals the biblical formula for having an effective testimony glorifying God in a fallen world. Can any evangelist be effective who shuns connecting to an, uh, to another's world? Absolutely not. Matthew 5 is, is basically it does not support this at all. Jesus himself does not support this idea. This passage lends to correcting such thinking. The believer must be a a perseverer and an illuminator on the earth and in the world if he desires to be a good evangelist. But Scripture interprets Scripture. So what what else do we see elsewhere in Scripture? Well, in the Great Commission passage of Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Jesus commands his followers to teach others more than just the truths of the gospel, as primary and, and important as you know, this is, and, and to the mission of Jesus, he teaches believers to go way beyond evangelism and make disciples. 
How is the believer to do that? Well, by teaching others to observe all that I command you. Paul's instruction goes above and beyond the truths of the gospel when he says to the the Ephesian elders, quote, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Accordingly, Jesus wants others to know all of his instruction. That means that he wants his followers to learn about marriage, family, church, commerce, and government. Such is required to to make disciples, of course. Conclusively, while the primacy of Jesus' mission is to convert the lost, the entirety of his message encompasses making disciples. It's not just evangelism. It's discipleship too. That that the believers should only evangelize political leaders is, is not getting involved in politics represents an, an, an ultra-myopic, unbiblical thinking. It follows that the if, if, um, evangelistic type of, of, of mentality. In other words, if we are supposed to um, evangelize the, the, the person in office, in governmental office, then we should be teaching him to immediately leave office as soon as he's saved. That doesn't make sense. So what does Jesus teach? What is the whole counsel of God regarding civil government? Among other things, this. He himself created it. He ordained it. He sustains it. And it is intended to moralize a fallen world and provide justice. In addition to his saving grace, Jesus' um, purposes compelled by a heart of compassion for the lost to manifest common grace and, and restraining grace to all through his ordained instruction. How great is his love! And, and the, the the descriptors and the, the supporting passages clearly reveal that Jesus has a purpose for believers within the institution of government that is in addition to evangelism. Accordingly, when one of the leading advocates for all for the, the all evangelism, no politics type of viewpoint states this, he says, Jesus did not come to earth to make the old creation moral through through, through social and governmental reform, but to make new creatures, his people, holy through the saving power of the gospel and the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. He is, uh, basically what he's looking at here, he's making it too narrow of an understanding of the mission of Jesus. What this author says does not represent the whole counsel of God, respective to his purpose for the, the institution of civil government, as we as we just talked about. The believer must be about teaching all scripture, saying and what it says about civil government, and, and even more specifically, teaching these truths to civil government leaders themselves. To say that Jesus' overall purpose and mission was solely about salvation is to imply that Jesus possesses no instruction about marriage, no instruction about family, no instruction about church or commerce either. The believer as well, even, should should, should only be about evangelism 
to those ordained by God's instruction according to them. Should believers engage in marriage counseling or just evangelize those who desire to get married? <laughs> Should believers seek to, to grow godly businessmen in, in Christ or just evangelize them? I'm all, I mean, you get the point here, right? Why is the institution of government or governmental leaders deemed evil and others not in light of the biblical objective to make disciples in, in the whole world? An, another error of this same um, influential Christian author, we'll call him, I'm not going to name him, is his tendency to spiritualize uh, away the importance of good civil government relative to the the uh, prognation of the of the gospel. He states this. He says the ideal human government can ultimately do nothing to advance God's kingdom and the worst most despotic wor uh, worldly government in the end cannot halt the power of the Holy Spirit or the spread of God's word. Is this a tenable argument for non-involvement in in civil government by believers? One does not have to be much of a student of current geopolitics uh, or history or historic missions to know that the Middle Eastern countries, as well as like North Korea and Cuba and Russia are am among others, have, have suppressed the growth of the body of Christ At, to, to a much greater degree than non-suppressive countries. How many missionaries have come forth re relative to the cause of Christ from places like China? Practically speaking, why have 90% of, of missions in the past century been funded by America? Should believers be involved in politics if for no other reason than to preserve missionary sending countries for the purpose of spreading the you know God's word the ideal country can advance God's kingdom more so than a non-ideal country good government is therefore important to achieve and maintain if for no other reason than to fulfill the great commission the present and historic imperatives for much of the fulfillment of the Great Commission stems from countries that honor freedom. That means that believers' role in sustaining a country's health and well-being, which includes its economic viability, is a notable and important task and is certainly in keeping with all that Jesus commands us. To illustrate one of the many possible results from living by too narrow an understanding of the mission of Jesus, uh, how about how about the, the the illustration of the radio preachers that must now edit their radio podcasts in Canada so as not to include any mention of Romans one six? This 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 passage, you, of course, it, it talks about uh, the the severity of sin, the principles of justification, the importance of faith, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit as many and many other major faith issues. This, this, they have to do this because Canadian laws were not influenced by Christians. What, what, what will become of, of people in this country if all of a sudden that kind of thinking happens here because Christians have pulled out of government? Governments in, indeed either facilitate or hinder the advancement of God's kingdom. Again, and worth repeating, 
Believers should be involved in civil government, if only for the sake of the Great Commission. Church leaders should applaud, respect, support, sustain, prepare, I mean, and, and even elect Christian political leaders in order to create and preserve the preacher's freedoms of, to, to spread the gospel. Should the church raise up young men and women and disciple them to, to run for office with the same passion and enthusiasm that it, it places on raising up godly pastors and wives and husbands and children and businessmen? Absolutely, yes. Evangelism is too narrow an understanding of the mission of Jesus. The mission of Jesus includes a transformation of nations. Note the Great Commission's passage in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and the use of the word nations. It says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, the word nations, as included by Jesus here in the Great Commission passage, cannot and should not be overlooked. The, the mission of Jesus has a sum total intent on transforming societies, or as they are called in the Great Commission passage, nations or ethnos. The Great Commission passage is clear. Believers are to affect nations. If teaching them to observe all that I command you is the overall purpose of the, of, of, for Christ coming to earth, as we have previously discussed, then just as important, the mission of Jesus has an eye toward and includes the transformation not only of individuals, but as the result of that nations as well. Which parts of the Bible should the church just not preach about? I mean, if, if, if you subscribe to the fact that we're supposed to just do evangelism, then what about all the other parts of the Bible that talk about doing other things? I mean, Genesis 9, 5 through 6, John 19, 11, Acts 25, 11, Romans 13, 1 through 7, or 1 Peter 2, 13 through 14. I mean... These, these, these are all areas that the Bible talks about. We've, we've, we've done a number of podcasts on them. I mean, Joseph influencing on Pharaoh's government or Daniel, Daniel's on, on Nebuchadnezzar's government. I mean, there's, there's so many areas. Which part of these areas are we not to talk about when it comes to the Bible? God leaves Christians here on earth to do both evangelism and to do good for others. I mean, why, why else? I mean, it, it would, it would, you would think that God, uh, a merciful God, as soon as we are saved, boom, all of a sudden we're gone. We're up to heaven, right? No, there's, there, there are reasons that we continue to live our life. Akin to, to the first point regarding the, the believer being an illuminator and a preserver in the world to the degree that they are, spir they are spiritually mature, God tends to leave his saints on earth after he saves them for this purpose. So that after one is saved, what is the believer to do? Should he or she evangelize others and, and, and remain um, 
you know, here to live their earthly lives. What about Matthew 2, 22, 39? Quote, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, unquote. This command is listed six other times in the New Testament. Like the Great Commission command, this too is a command from Jesus. The spirit of what Jesus is teaching believers to do demands that believers consider the following kinds of issues. For example, make sure that the laws punish thieves who would otherwise rob my neighbor. Or um, how about work to create and enforce laws pertaining to internet uh, protection and my neighbor from getting hacked and otherwise stealing their credit card information or create policies that ensure that those who educate my neighbor's child can uh, cannot teach them things that are evil. I mean, you get the idea, right? How could these policies that are so um, compatible with, with the mandates of scripture to love thy neighbor be accomplished if believers if, if if believers who believe in the moral truths of Scripture are not involved in policymaking, right? How can this be done? How can we love our neighbor and only evangelize, in other words? Why should churches teach their people how to do good works in hospitals and in schools and in businesses and in, in neighborhoods, but not in government? In in biblical connection between loving one's neighbor and the necess- necessity of, of being involved in civil government is a strong and unav- is, is strong and unavoidable. God established both the church and the state to restrain evil. Both. When believers when a believer through the power of the Holy Spirit wins someone to Christ, su- such internal resignation should quell evil in in the heart of the convert. However, history and and present observation indicate that not everyone comes to Christ, nor are those who do completely and and, and immediately uh, sanctified in, in their in their manifest actions. Uh, accordingly, God has instituted in addition to the church civil government to restrain evil by the use of force and punishment in a fallen world. Romans 13.4 is clear about this, where, wherein Paul states, speaking of the government, quote, But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. 1 Peter 2, 13-14 states similarly, Submit yourself to every human institution, whether to be a king as the one in authority or to governors as set by him for the punishment of evildoers. These passages serve to, to illuminate the fact that God mandates his reign by vesting his authority in and through civil government in order to restrain evil in a fallen world. Whereas the church is God's conduit of saving grace, the state is God's conduit of restraining grace. Such a realization necessitates the the believer's involvement in civil government, since it is a part of Jesus' overall mission and institutional, it's an institutional invention by him. He created government. It would seem to follow too 
that some are called by God to serve him in his institution of a government, just as, you know, to the same degree that some individuals are called to serve him in the institution of church. Christians have influenced the state positively through history. I mean, standing in sharp contrast, the idea of non-involvement in, in the state by believers other than evangelism are, are the following examples. And, and like number one, the dignity of mankind, the historic spread of impact of Christian influence on the state by Christians being involved in the state has been responsible for many victories. Christian involvement in the state influences out, out, um, outlawing infanticide. How about child abandonment? Outlawing abortion in, in Roman Empire in, in the year 374. Christian involvement in the state prohibited the banning of, of uh, I'm sorry, the burning of, a, of alive uh, widows in India in 1829. Christian involvement in the state ended slavery in the British Empire in 1840. Christian involvement in the state uh, stopped the the binding of women's feet in China in 1912. And and Christian involvement in the state uh, outlawed uh, racial discrimination in America. These are but a few of historic contributions of beatitudinal mature in Christ believers. God's called out agents of um, per- perseverance and, and illumination being engaged in politics. And, and how about the constitution of mankind? I mean, Christians involving in, uh, involved in politics were influential in the writings of the Magna Carta in England in 1215, the Declaration of Independence in America in 1776, and the Constitution of the United States in 1787. These are the most important documents in the history of governments known to mankind. All were significantly influenced by believers and are the basis not only of... Um, prosperous countries, but the the ensuing Christian missions movement worldwide. These advanced views of government have birthed individual freedoms, justice, freedom of religion, and the institution uh, institutional separation of, of church and state. It, again, we've gotten into that, but I'll leave that there for 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 what you you understand it, it it to be. The education of mankind. How about that? Believers involved in the in the state have greatly influenced the development of higher education in America. 92% of the 182 colleges and universities in America in 1932 had been founded by Christian denominations. So does the Bible say that persecution is coming? Well, when studying eschatology, of course, that's the doctrine of future biblical events, one could reason which things are going to get worse in, in the end times. We, we, we can see that from Scripture. So if things are going to be getting worse, then, the, then, then this, this fatalistic future of the world tomorrow is no excuse for societal disenfranchisement today. Scripture explicitly mentions that no one knows the exact time of his, of the second coming. And so we need to work, and, and, and this includes civil governments, until he comes. For these reasons, and, and many others really, but for these reasons, the do evangelism, not politics, understanding of uh, of the Christian is a false dichotomy. 
and an incorrect understanding of the church and state. Believers should be involved in politics in ways similar to the way they'd think about making their marriage better, uh, or their family better, or their business better, or their church better. Running for office and serving in several civil government is no less spiritual than going into full-time ministry, or getting married, raising a family, or or building a business. You see, I I believe that if we, we that we have a responsibility, particularly in this country, where the form of government that God has gifted us with includes us. Okay, many other countries we are not the civilians are not included in government and the governmental policy making. In this country, we get to decide who is going to make those policies. And is it going to be somebody who comes from a a godly worldview? Or is it somebody who does not believe in God whatsoever? That's the choice that we have. And if we are here to do all these things, if we are here to occupy until he comes, then that involves government too. And you can't just say that our only purpose is evangelism, because if that's the case, then all these other other areas of family and business and marriage and, and all this kind of stuff, then, then those are out the window as well. And that does not match up with scripture. Scripture, And you, you may agree with me, you may disagree with me on this, and I would definitely love to hear from you. Please give give me a shout out here, um, either on Facebook. And uh, we have our Facebook page. Uh, you can go to MeWe. You can go to Instagram, or you can go to UncommonSensePodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.